So this morning, we've reached number 50 in our series in the theology of the Old Testament. A bit of, bit of background. A couple of years ago, when I was thinking and praying about what to do next, I was just completing my series in the Gospel of John, and I looked at what I've been preaching on through my life and realized that usually I do an expository series in a New Testament book. And I hadn't done that many Old Testament series. And I thought, why don't I do something in the Old Testament? And so we're number 50 now in our series in the Old Testament. There won't be many more, but but that's that's the background to it. And, and today I want to ask this question. Why, what, how do we handle it when God doesn't seem to keep his promise, his promises? The problem with following God is that his words don't always seem to match up with his actions. You may know somebody who's always going to, saying they're going to do something, but actually doesn't do it. You, we all know people like that, don't we? Um, so this is one of the problems of following God. Do you agree that God's like that? He's the kind of person who always says he's going to do something but doesn't. Would you agree? Okay, all right. Um, so can it seem like that sometimes? Well, we're going to look at a number of passages of Scripture that that uh, talk about exactly this subject. And my goal today is to, to ask, how do we handle it when God doesn't seem to keep his promises? And I've got three things I'd like to do. Uh, first, what I'd like to look at Habakkuk. And Abraham's problem with God. And our main focus is going to be on the book of Habakkuk. Then the second is the answer that Habakkuk gets. And then I'm going to look at our problem with God. And so we're going to, it's a very, Habakkuk is a very short book. So we'll, we'll basically look at the whole book. And, um, I'm going to, in the weeks to come, look at how we handle Old Testament prophets. How do we actually get a blessing from reading Old Testament prophets? And so this one will be the, the, an example of that. So let's look at the first 13 verses in this book. Let's look then, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. The following is the message which God revealed to Habakkuk the prophet. How long, O Lord, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. I call out to you violence, but you do not intervene. Why do you force me to witness injustice? Why do you put up with wrongdoing? Destruction and violence confront me. Conflict is present and one must endure strife. For this reason, the law lacks power and justice is never carried out. Indeed, the wicked intimidate the innocent. For this reason, justice is perverted. So in this time, the, the nation of Judah has become very corrupt. And God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. And the problem is that he said in his word that he's concerned about this. Um, he want, he'll judge evildoers and those who are, are, are innocent, he will save. But in practice, he doesn't seem to be doing anything about this. And Habakkuk has a problem with this. And he's confronting God directly. And what's interesting, God doesn't have a problem putting the book of Habakkuk in the Bible. 
So, so because actually this is a valid question. And uh, so we can experience times like this in our own lives. We would like circumstances to be like this. Uh, personal enjoyment of friends, of kindness, of faithfulness, family, and then material blessings of health and prosperity, security, and satisfying work. And when this is the case, then being a Christian is easy. You know, God hears my prayers, everything uh, I pray he answers, his promises come true, no reason to doubt. But what happens when my life looks like this? My personal experience is loneliness, hostility, betrayal, bereavement, and my material problems might be sickness, poverty, disaster, unemployment. Well, what happens when the life is like that? Well, uh, it's, it, it's much harder just to, to rejoice and say, God, God, here's my prayers. My study of the Bible on which the sermon is based comes out of some difficulties I had in my life a few decades ago um, where I was really struggling. And what started with a bleak and desperate search of the Bible turned into relief and joy that I made through discoveries that I want to share with you this morning. So I want to show you some of the answers that I came up with in the Bible. And just a heads up, we're not going to get it all finished this week. There's going to be a part two next week. So uh, the first thing is the story of Abraham and Sarah. Now we're going to come back to Habakkuk, but I just wanted to talk about this for a bit. Abraham had trouble matching up God's words and his works. Um, God... Uh, said, I will give you a son, but what was God's actions? No son. And this began in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go out from your country, your relatives and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Then I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And uh, then so Abraham left his city and set off uh, for the land of Canaan. And when he was there, we're going to go to Genesis 13, God said to him again, I'll make your descendants like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone is able to count the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be counted. Now that would assume that he had at least one child, wouldn't it? Like in order for your descendants to be the dust of the earth, you have to have a first generation. And there was nothing Absolutely nothing. So here's a little bit of a gap here. And this caused some tension for him uh, because he was getting older. Sarah was getting older. Sarah was nearly, Sarah was actually in her 80s. Um, there seemed to be a gap between God's words and his works. And this is one of the problems that Christians have. Can I really trust God? Will he be faithful to me? So, let's skip on another couple of chapters, which is many more years later. Uh, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I'm your shield and the one who will reward you in great abundance. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, 
When will you, what will you give me since I continue to be childless and my heir is Eliezer of Damascus, that's one of his servants, would be in place of a child, one of his servants would be inherit everything. Abraham added, since you've not given me a descendant, then look, one born in my house will be my heir. But look, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but instead a son who comes from your own body will be your heir. The Lord took him outside and said, gaze into the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to them, so will your descendants be. What happened next? Can you tell me? What was Abraham's response? And cheating, she's reading the Bible. <laughs> you can say. Yes. So what happened is Abraham believed this promise and God counted it as righteousness. And so it, what was it then that bridged this gap between, this is how I pictured it. There's like two trucks here, railway trucks and uh, they're separate, but what bridges them is faith. Faith connects God's words and his works when they don't seem to match up. Now, this turned out to be really critical in Abraham's story. This is why he's called the father of all that believe, and he wouldn't have had this had he not had a gap between God's words and his works. If everything had just been connected up, no need for faith, is there? When you think about it, if everything God promises to you immediately happens, you, that'd be great, but you never actually need that, that trust in him, that gap that you need to bridge by trust. Um, but, um, so this is Genesis 15. Um, in Genesis 16, his faith weakens and he decides to force the issue. Do you remember what happens there? Takes Hagar as his wife. And he thinks, you know, he just, so he's, uh, uh, he forces the issue. And um, then there's another 13 years of waiting. Another 13 years, and we come to Genesis 17. Abraham bowed down his face to the ground, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be Abraham, instead your name will be Abraham, because I'll make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you extremely fruitful, I'll make you nations out of you, and kings will descend from you. So what's he thinking now? I've heard this before. Am I going to believe this? Can you, you, can you imagine the tension that's going through 25 years of waiting altogether? <clears throat> and there's this gap. Let's read on. Then God said to Abraham, as for your wife, you must no longer call her Sarai. Sarah will be her name. I will bless her and will give you a son through her. I will bless her. She will become a mother of nations. I hadn't thought about it, but there's a Mother's Day reference. Um, Kings of countries will come from her. Then Abraham bowed down his face to the ground and laughed and said to himself, Can't a son be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Can Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? 
So um, this is this is the problem that he has at this point. <clears throat> but then still more time passes by. Still more time, and we get to Genesis. Okay, sorry, one more verse. God said, no, Sarah, your wife, is going to bear you a son. You will name him Isaac. More time passes by. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing across from him. Then they asked him, where is Sarah, your wife? He replied, there in the tent. One of them said, I will surely return to you when the season comes around again and your wife Sarah will have a son. That's within a year. Sarah was listening the entrance of the tent, not far behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and advancing years. Sarah had long since passed menopause. So Sarah laughed to herself thinking, after I'm worn out, will I have pleasure, especially when my husband is old too? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child when I am old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? I will return to you when the season comes around again and Sarah will have a son. Now, although Sarah laughed at this point, um, the book of Hebrews tells us that she was one of the heroes of faith. She listed, she's listed there and she had faith and she's credited as she's had faith at this time. In fact, the name Isaac means laughter because it was the kind of laughter of joy after waiting such a long time. So finally, after 25 years, we have Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah just as he said he would. And did for Sarah what he promised, so Sarah became pregnant and bore Abraham a son in his old age. And at the appointed time, God had told him. Abraham named his son, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. So here we have then the, the, the reading from Habakkuk and the story of Abraham, which illustrates this principle of this gap between what God says and what God does, and with Abraham, we saw the gap was bridged by faith until God finally answered. So we've we've looked then at the problem that they had with God, Habakkuk and Abraham. Now I'd like to look at the answer Habakkuk gets, and we can see that in the the following chapters in the book, and then we'll look at our problem with God. So here's chapter two, and. There comes a t- uh, the, the, the theme comes up dozens of times in scripture um, because this is the test of the essence of faith. And here in Habakkuk, the prophet pleads with God for an exploration, explanation. And in 2.1, he has said uh, his piece and he sets himself to listen to God's answer. So he's get, done, his, done his bit that we read before. He's going to wait. I will stand at my watch post. I will remain stationed at the city wall. I'll keep watching so I can see what he says to me and can know how I should answer when he counters my argument. So how's God going to answer Habakkuk's statement that you don't match up, your your works don't match up with your words? How's God going to answer it? And this is the response that God comes up with. The Lord responded, Write down this message, record it legibly on tablets. Obviously he did because we have it here. So the one who announces it may read it easily. 
So the other reason for recording it is that God is going to come through and we want a record of what he said, he promised, so that when it happens, we can match it up. For the message is a witness to what is decreed. It gives reliable testimony about how matters will turn out. Even if the message is not fulfilled right away, wait patiently, for it will certainly come to pass. It will not arrive late. Look, the one whose desires are not upright will faint from exhaustion, but the person of integrity will live because of his faithfulness. Okay, tell me, what parallels can you see between Habakkuk's answer and Abraham's story? Waiting patiently, okay, yep. And then when you've waited patiently, what happens? It comes, it matches up. When you wait patiently, it actually matches up exactly. The words and the works match up and alignment. In fact, God is saying, like, note my words carefully. So when they happen, you're going to see the match. So uh, that's, that seems to be the, the key idea here. And if you, he says, um, if you will, if you wait, you'll see my words will match up. The wicked will be punished. Those who do not turn away from God's words but hold on in faith will live. And you can see here, there's a choice here. Are you going to be the one who faints from exhaustion here or the one, the person of integrity who lives because of their faithfulness? This is the choice that you had. So, um, what, how does, what's the next phase in this? Can you imagine how Habakkuk's going to respond to this? Well, it is in the Bible, so it did get recorded. So maybe it was positive. Can you guess what he's going to say? So, well, let's have a look. Nobody's going to guess. This is Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, God's works all seem to be against him. You know, nothing's working out well. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high hills. So, in other words, he will nevertheless put his confidence in God's promises. And we know, of course, through history that God did work out, God did keep all of his promises. Everything he said, he kept. And um, he did bring justice and deal with the people who were so horrifically unjust in Judah. And he basically, the nation was reborn uh, after the captivity and new principles. So that then is the response that he has. And so just to sum up with my picture, it's only faith then we see in both Habakkuk and in Abraham, only faith that can bridge this gap. And the trouble that we have is that we are caught in the middle and we're trying to hang on to God's word and we're trying to at the same time see what's happening. And sometimes we can get very stretched in this. 
But as I struggled in my own life, in the things I was going through, I discovered that, in fact, the more I looked at the Bible, the more I saw that it doesn't, wasn't just Habakkuk and and Abraham, but this, this question went right the way through. In fact, this was the big story. Look at someone like David. You know, David's given this promise. He's as a boy, you know, from the, comes in from the fields, called in by Samuel. Samuel anoints him and says, you're going to be king. Does that happen straight away? Quite a lot of story happens. You know, he goes up, um, he defeats Goliath. Oh, now I'm going to be king. No, he, thinks he's going to do well with, with Saul. Saul invites him to his court. Things are looking good. Gets given the daughter of Saul as his wife. But then that all goes bad and he gets hunted down for his life for years. And things are getting worse and worse and worse. And in the end, he, he basically almost gives up because he actually leaves the land. He leaves the promised land. Goes and lives in the Philistines' land, which he shouldn't have done. Um, but it's worse than that. He actually, they think he's on their side and there's going to be a big battle against Israel. And they're getting all the people and they say, let's get David to fight with us against Israel. And David makes a very good choice at this time. He decides not to fight against Israel, which was a very good choice because it was the battle where Saul gets killed. It wouldn't have been good for him to be on the other side, to put it mildly. Anyway, but things get even worse than that because when he gets home from turning down this battle, before the battles happen, he gets home and he discovers that raiders have come and they've taken all of his possessions and also his, his, his wife, his children, everything has been taken. His whole, um, world has been taken. And that's like the worst point. And then he asks the prophet, what should I do? And the prophet says, go and rescue it. God's going to get everything, give you everything. And at that point, things start getting better. He gets everything back again and then discovers that Saul is dead and he is crowned king and he finally gets what God had promised. But that was the test all the way through and you read Psalms. Psalms about that test that he's facing. Is God going to answer me? Has God forsaken me? And so I discovered that it wasn't just me that was struggling with this. Actually, it was lots of stories and in fact, this was the big question of scripture. Are you going to trust God when things don't look like it's all matched up perfectly and all his promises are answered? Are you going to trust him? And this actually was very encouraging for me because I actually saw that, in fact, my struggle was the struggle in Scripture and I wasn't alone and also I knew what to do. And so it turned me around and I was able to trust God and God brought me through. And he didn't, and there have been many times since the same sort of thing has happened, but God has brought me through. There are places that things in my life that have not been resolved, and I just have to hold on to that. So, um, I want to ask you, have you ever had this kind of experience in your life? Let's move on to look at, um, at the question of how we respond to this, uh, our problem with God and what we are to do. Um, you're you're uh, struggling with something in your life. Maybe right now you're struggling with something. Um, and you say, why God? Why do you do this? How can you say one thing and do another? And you're tempted to doubt God. 
Satan has always stepped in at this point. Remember in Eden, this beautiful fruit, but God says no. And Satan says, oh, he doesn't care about you. He's trying to deny you from something good. He'll always have a lie. And the lie is God doesn't really care about you. Or there's no God at all. Or he's not the kind of God you think he is. And you're tempted to doubt. And Satan whispers this. He did this from the beginning. So how do we go about answering this problem? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that the really is only one answer, and that is Jesus Christ living in us. Jesus experienced all the personal problems of loneliness, hostility, betrayal, grief, lived a life of poverty and suffering, but he demonstrated what it looks like to have a perfect faith and trust in the Father. We know that Jesus is God, but we know that also when he lived his life, he lived it in his strength of a human and in trust to demonstrate what a life of trust looks like. And in his agony on the cross, he even experienced what it felt like to be abandoned by the Father. This gap was stretched so thin, so tight, that in his humanity, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But his, his faith held out, and of course he didn't give in to doubt. But what I want to say is that only Christ in us can enable us to make this uh, a time of faith that holds these two things together. Uh, but I want to say to you that you will be tested. I, this may not be good, the good news that you want. Maybe you say, well, Andrew, I've already been tested. If you knew my life, I've had loads of these tests. And met, probably most of you have, as some form or other. If you haven't, then you will do, because we're told that that is, the, that, that is what the life is like. In 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing had happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So I want to sum it up now. And I want to sum it up. I'm going to give you this this picture. Uh, You have a choice when you're faced with this kind of situation in Habakkuk. You can, on the one hand, believe Satan's lies and say, God, if there really is a God, doesn't care about me. Uh, or you can recognize Satan's lies for what they are and see Jesus there hanging on the cross like a submissive lamb trusting his father, just simply trusting him, and you can make a decision that you're going to do that. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, then this is exactly your choice as well. Can you trust God with your destiny? Can you give your future to him and say, I trust you, God, that if I give you my life, then you are going to look after me and take me through and carry me. Why do we sometimes feel uh, it's so hard to rest in God's love? Sometimes we, we think, how, why does he, how can he truly love me? As he says he does. I think sometimes we're so ashamed of our lives of failure 
that we can't believe that God has truly forgiven us, that he would love someone like we are. Uh, But he tells us to rest in our salvation. And I think the word rest is a really good one here. Because when you rest in God's promises, you rest in his promises, then this problem goes away. So I want to challenge you then. Let's put aside our doubts this morning. Take hold of God's promises. Uh, What have we to fear if God loves us so much that he gave his own son for us? Brothers and sisters, may each of us do this. And this is my closing verse here. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. May each of us be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of God which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So I want to challenge you to face this decision, to recognize that this is something that we face. This is a problem that we come up with. Recognize it, and I want to challenge you to believe as Abraham did in his better moments. Believe in God, as Habakkuk did, as David did in his better moments, and as Jesus did on the cross. Believe in the promises And you will see the glory of God revealed. And if you are struggling, uh, you don't have to do it alone. We would love to pray with you. And and we, as Anne mentioned earlier, we have system set up for prayer and just talk to to anybody you've seen out at the front today if you want to to, uh, you anything you want to talk about now because these things shouldn't be carried alone they should be carried together but I'd like to just pray for all of us right now and I want to pray particularly for you if you are having a struggle right now in this area heavenly father we thank you that you are not embarrassed by this question that you put it forefront in the scriptures We thank you, God, that you're not afraid of us asking this question. But you want us to ask it because you want us to challenge our faith. And so, God, we come to you now and we lay before you the crises, the stress, the, the problems that we're facing right now in our lives. We lay them before you and we say, God, we pray that you would give us the faith to believe this morning that you love us. You care for us. And one day we will see all of your promises to us fulfilled because we believe that you're a faithful God whose words do match up with your works. Lord, we we pray, we believe, Lord, help our unbelief in Jesus' name. Amen.